I love players whose characters are just a little bit too much like them. And DMs, whose villains are just a little too much like them. <laughs> Welcome back to Table Talk. I'm Maddie. And I'm Robert. What are we talking about today, Robert? We are going to talk about villains, um, how to make them, how to roleplay them, how to use them in your world. Um, the the common term for them in D&D is uh, BBEG. Do you know what that stands for? Big Bad Evil Guy. There we go. I've never understood what the acronym meant, but um, I don't actually know if that's true. That's just what my brain supplied me with. I mean, that was pretty quick. That's what I think it is. I'm going like to double check that. I mean, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, BBEG's sort of, not even historically, I mean, you just talk about sort of character archetypes throughout, stories throughout history. She was right. She's celebrating. Um, oh, yeah. Or, I mean, like, it's always just, like, the villain archetype or, like, the antagonist. I mean, there's a really infinite number of words for it, but something about, like, the ones in D&D, I feel like they always have to be kind of, like, grandiose and have yeah. a very large personality and really drive a lot of the behind-the-scenes plot line, like, you know. Well, because it's the fun, and it's one of the things of, like, it, be in my mind, because the DM doesn't get, like, a specific player... I think that there's a lot more work poured into the villains. Stop showing me. <laughs> Those are so bad. Showing her pictures of me in high school. I fluctuated between super, super edgy and like little tiny itty bitty boy. So. So that's just the side plot. That's the like B plot of this episode. Maybe we'll upload photos of Robert in oh, high Jesus, school. Please don't. To it's, the server. It's bad. It's bad. Um, but I feel like because the, the DM doesn't get like a specific character to play, I feel like there's more work poured into the villains. And I think that's part of the reason why the villain or like the BBEG or whatever is like always so grandiose or something because mm -hmm. it also gives like the DM yeah, a it's character like, to play with. It's the one opportunity that we have to really make a character or something close to a character and then like play them. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can do that with NPCs. I mean, pretty much every NPC you create, you will end up playing with, but few are as fleshed out as, like, the villain. Yeah. It's just because it's it's fun to play with them. For me, it's super fun to have uh, NPCs that aren't just plot devices. Like, I treat my villains very much mm -hmm. like I would treat a player um, in that I make them very organic. I make them do things behind the scenes. I have them make their own roles, take their own actions. When the players are, like, sort of acting and interacting... Um, I like to make mine feel very much alive uh, as yeah. opposed to just like an NPC that's there to move the plot forward or there to cause the party trauma. Or it's like, just very like press X for dialogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like fill them with a shit ton of monologues. I very much take, uh, not inspiration from, but Brennan Lee Mulligan's, uh, what was the guy's name? In, uh, you gotta give me the season. Ooh, oh, how, oh, Jesus Christ. How if am you I give me the this? season, I've got it. Uh, Unsleeping City, Robert Moses. Yes, Robert Moses. I fucking loved that villain. I loved that villain so oh, much. Oh, he was and so I good. I try to make a lot of my villains very similar to... I don't think I've ever, like, taken inspiration from that character in particular, but just, like, if you guys have ever seen... any Anybody listening has ever seen Dimension 20, specifically Fantasy High... Or not Fantasy High. Holy shit. Unsleeping City. Unsleeping City. My Unsleeping favorite City season. phenomenal. And the villain, Robert Moses, is, like, very much one of those in and out throughout the majority of the campaign and is mm -hmm. really only like on in the spotlight for the last what like fourth of it yeah um but like is actively popping up from the very beginning and making decisions that are felt by the player and the world sort of um as a whole throughout the entire campaign and it's one of those things when you get to the end where it's like holy shit that was all him yeah he's and been doing all of these decisions he did this he did that and I think that's one of the like most fun things that you can do with a BBEG, or at least from the player's perspective. Those are my favorite villains are the ones that you interact with throughout the campaign. And I'm not even talking about like combat specifically, because like I think that there's definitely a thing of like fighting your villain too early. And mm -hmm. we've kind of like touched on that in like personal conversations that we've had about D and D yeah. um, outside of the the recording room um, of kind of like biting off more than you can chew sometimes. But I think that there's something really fun about, like, having interactions with a villain and, like, as your party before, mm -hmm. like, the actual combat of being like, okay, we're going to have a conversation. It's going to be a tense conversation. Yeah. But it's like a little bit of pre-combat monologue where it's like, yeah. I've been tracking you for this many days and I've been doing this. Or it's like, it, there's always, like, um, like an offer you can't refuse type thing that yeah. usually happens where it's, like, this is your one chance to walk away or, like, join me and fulfill my evil plans or, like, you, one specific character who I've been helping behind the scenes 
come with me and betray the party. I mean, it never fucking happens. No, it won't. The one thing that almost consistently happens at the table is that no matter how evil of a character somebody's supposed to be playing, when it comes time to make a decision with or against the party, it's almost always with, even if the character is supposed to be yeah. not a with. Even if it character. goes against the entire party's it just like, ideals and morals. Once you get to that point in the campaign as a player, you're like, even if I'm supposed to be this way as a character, like, fuck that. And it's a hard thing to, like, try to balance when you want to play, like, a character. Because I think, like, double agents can be fun. And I think that's something mm-hmm. that can be explored at the table. I think that it's I've something... I've tried that... it twice. <laughs> almost three times, actually. And zero times has it worked out. Yeah. It, every single time it has been... The party okay. has just been that infectious to the point where it's just like, okay, never mind. There yeah. goes that slide pod. Whoop! But I think that double agents can be really fun. I think it's something you definitely have to have conversations about because it's mm-hmm. one of those things where, like, if all of the players at your table are aware that someone is a double agent, they're not going to trust them just because they're going to be smart players and they're not going to, like, divulge personal information out. So I think that one of the things that you can do is kind of have those conversations, like, one-on-one with your DM outside of the table. Um, are you? <laughs> yes, I am. You can just Google it. Yeah, I want to see what, what ChatGPT gives me. We'll, okay. we'll eventually have an episode where we talk about sort of uh, AI in terms of its role in, in oh, D&D. Yeah. Um, but I just looked up sort of traditional traps for BBEGs. This is there are so many. Um, just to hit a few on the list here. Dark Lord or Lady, powerful, malevolent figure, sometimes at magical or supernatural abilities. It's like the Sauron... Um, I was gonna, we have to come up with examples for all of these. Yeah, well, like Sauron's a really great example. Um, oh Jesus, you've I was read gonna fantasy go, stuff. Uh, you've read some fantasy stuff. Some. Yeah, I have yeah. no idea who the thing you ju- who what you Lord just. Lord of said. the Rings, big guy in yeah. the tower, giant not evil, for me. giant evil eye. We talked about this before. Uh, I do not uh, like Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit. Of Dark uh, Dark Voldemort. Dark. Yeah, Voldemort's Voldemort. Good great example. That's something I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, fuck turfs. Side note. Um. Uh, but yeah, like we'll hit Voldemort in in Sauron and Call it a Day. There, I think we're struggling with yeah. that. Tragic backstory. A lot, <laughs> a lot of BBGs have some sort of tragic past that like leads them down their path. I mean, my first and favorite villain of all time that I made, Keloy, which is an anagram for Loki. Mm-hmm. Um, that was his whole reason. Like he did everything out of love for one yeah. particular character. Yeah. I mean, he was it was twisted because his his brain. I mean, if you've listened to some of the previous episodes, we talk a lot about our first campaign, and I talk a lot about sort of the motivation for the villain, because uh, there were a lot of events that happened previous to the campaign, um, and that's how I like to make my villains dynamic. I like to have mm-hmm. things happen to them outside of the campaign, leading into it, because it's 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 very. Uh, very uncommon that a person or even a fantasy person is just going to wake up one day and go, I want to end the world, you know? Like, even the Joker, who is chaotic, evil, for the sake of being it. Depends on which comic you read, but there's an origin there. But there are a couple of different origin stories for the character becoming crazy. Like, there's always a cause for whatever, whatever, and oftentimes it's a tragic backstory. So, like, their family died, or they lost a loved one, or... They really tried to like accomplish this big goal and it got thwarted by this one particular hero or a group of heroes. Or mm-hmm. I think what's even fun too about the tragic backstory is you can flip it and have them like be the hero in their own story. Mm-hmm. So from their perspective, they've only ever been trying to do good and then they were like thwarted by in their mind the bad guy, but to everybody else like the hero. Yeah. Um and so then it's even a little more like tragic in that sense that like from their perspective, everything they've been doing has been for the right thing. I mean I, my, my initial thought was uh, Thanos, but that's not. <laughs> I mean, specifically kind of, MCU Thanos. I think yeah. it's that tragic backstory, like yeah. all the wrong things for the right reasons. Because I think one of the most dynamic things you can do for a villain is not let them know that they're the villain. Mm-hmm. Like, well, you think this is a perfect chance for you to talk about the book you've been reading. Yeah, the movie uh, that you I said I was going to talk about this on the podcast. I've been rereading uh, the Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, or Snakes and Songbirds. I can't remember which order. Um, we and both just watched it in theaters, not together, but we did watch it, and it was phenomenal. Movie, so good, man. so fucking good. The book, fucking phenomenal. Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes. Songbirds and Snakes. Okay, but Coriolanus Snow, who's President Snow in the original trilogy, like light spoilers. Suzanne Collins. Um, Suzanne Collins what a phenomenal is phenomenal writer, man. She's so fucking good. Um, but so he's like the dictator. He's mm-hmm. like the one in charge of Panem, and is like 
you know, continuing these Hunger Games and blah, blah, blah. And then this book basically follows him when he was like 18 years old. Mm -hmm. And it's not like the traditional like villain backstory where you expect like the tragic backstory where it's like Mm -hmm. he tried to do do good and then something bad happened to him. He loses his family. Yeah. And like you see, he's in tragic circumstances for sure. Psychotic. But he continuously makes decisions. He is offered with, okay, here is a chance to do the right thing. Mm hmm. Or something that's not the right thing, but is not evil. And he always chooses a secret third option, which his, is... What was his best friend's name? Uh, Sejanus. Or a uh, best friend. Well, best friend in the quotes. movie, in the book. Uh, Sejanus. Sejanus? Yeah, Sejanus Plint. Sejanus. Sejanus. Well, my, my thought, sort of reflecting on that too, talking about that, like having there their being a hero that sort of mirrors your villain, is mm-hmm. Sejanus is very much, in my mind, looking back at it, is supposed to be everything that Snow could have been. Yeah. So Snow and Sejanus are in the, in the book and in the movie are faced with a lot of the same decisions. And the biggest difference between the two is that Sejanus will always go out of his way to make the decision that will benefit either the most people or that will try and sort of, sort of downfall or slight the games. Yeah. And Snow continuously makes decisions to perpetrate and to continue Mm -hmm. and to like uh, prize them which is crazy because he's in love with lucy gray he does it all out of love in the games and like all out of love for one character yeah he's fully fully like people who say that he was not in love with her wrong is his (laughs) love crazy absolutely is he toxic absolutely yeah but i without a shadow of a doubt he was in he loved her yeah, love like and a nineteen fifties trophy wife love. Like love Yeah, like no, it like was like I around. want to own you. Mm-hmm. No one else can look at you. Like it was it was, was a lot. Out some real hardcore fantasies with that one, man. Yeah. I was last night when we were talking some D and D stuff, I was sitting there reading the book and just reading out lines and they yeah. were But talking about tragic backstory, he's a great example. Um Coralinus is a great example of like how that tragic backstory can be interesting um as opposed to just like they were a good person and then the worst thing happened to them and now they're bad like you yeah. can very much have a character that like comes from tragic backstory without it justifying yeah, their actions like the inkling of there being sort of this malicious intent or like under the just under the water surface kind of like broiling evil was always there to begin with oh yeah it's just the circumstance prevented or like sort of presented them with the opportunity to then fully like blossom i guess into that villain yeah uh, the next one on the list is Ambition for Power. So BBGs that see They always have power. that. Shout out Coriolanus Snow. That man was so ambitious for power. Driven by a desire to achieve or maintain this power. But see, again, I think Coriolanus is such a such a, a, a well-written character that like his ambition for power isn't even like to have ultimate power like I want to control the world and I want to be immortal. It's he's like, just like, I have to move up in my station. I'm better than he's this. He's out to prove a point. Like yeah. his his thirst for power, his ambition to like win is to show the world that the Hunger Games, like it's, it's one of the final things it said in the movie, uh, when um, oh my god, uh, that was me, Viola Sorry. Davis, Viola Davis's character who Doctor Gall, Doctor Gall, she plays phenomenal. Um, it has another conversation with Snow at the very end of the movie, and sort of towards the beginning, she goes, "What do you think the Hunger Games are for?" And he's like. Uh, like to instill fear, to like keep rule for for this, for that. Like I mean, whatever. Uh, a lot of reasons that normal people would think the games are for. Yeah. And then at the very end, when he's finally like been brought back to her, and she's like, "You're my protege, and you've passed all your tests. I'm gonna ask you again. What are the games for?" And he's like, "To remind everybody that underneath all of this sheen and under all the shit, regardless of where you're from, we're all fucking animals. And yeah. the only way to keep us in check is to remind us that we're animals." Yeah. Um, and so I think. Uh, ultimately, his his thirst for ambition is just to continue to show the world that in like higher stakes on a yeah. much more public platform. And one of the things that I also love about the book and the movie and like Coriolanus Snow as an example is just it's showing the ideology of your villain mm-hmm. of being like this is what I truly believe to my core. Is it a correct thing? We're sure about the next one. No, which is manipulator BBGs <laughs> are often master manipulators. Yeah, uh, and will do just about anything to get their goals. I mean, that's Coriolanus to a T. Like yeah. that's no to a hundred and ten percent T. Even when he's doing things for the right reason, if you consider like Lucy Gray preserving her life as a right reason or a just reason. It's always the wrong thing. Yeah. It's like, I'm going to send 65 bottles of, of water at these children uh, and definitely rig the games to keep Lucy alive. I'm also yeah. going to tell her to poison several people. Yeah, uh, I'm also going to cheat. I'm going to cheat in the games multiple different times. Yeah. Like, 
I'm going to manipulate one of my teammates to let their tribute die. Manipulate Sejanus. He hates Sejanus, and he lets Sejanus mm-hmm. think that he's his fucking best friend. Yeah. Because he's like, this is a good connection for me to have. 100%. It's like going into other manipulators in media, um, f- there's so many. Yeah. Like literally are, just about every. Keloy, my character Keloy was from number one. A huge manipulator. I mean, everything he did was very much behind the scenes. He was never like a super big. Um, like big, powerful, tough guy that has like a lot of superpowers and is no, like no, he was a slimy little fuck. Ridiculous. He was a slimy little fuck. Like that's what he was known for. He would he would pop in combat encounters, and the second he got close to losing or they got close to winning, he would leave every time without yeah. a doubt. There was no like I'm gonna fight till the bitter end because I hate you guys. It was no, I you are so low on my fucking tier list of of yeah. things I got to do today. I'm not wasting my time or my life on you. Yeah. And it's, I think that's what makes villains too very interesting is when you're when the players are not the central part of their plan. Oh yeah, because then it's even more. It's like wow, like they're. It's like wow, fuck you, man. Yeah, and it's like their machinations are so grand or their schemes are so big. It's it, it almost feels more organic to sort of stumble into that plot and then to force yourself to be the ones to sort of thwart him. Yeah, it's like you're not even. It's almost cooler that way because it's like you aren't even part of the plan, but here you are fucking it all up, yeah. saving the day. And it's one of those things also of like, motherfucker, you committed these atrocities mm-hmm. and I don't even matter. Yeah. Like, you burned down my house. You killed my whole family you in front even, of me. That wasn't even part of the and plan. That's like, Tuesday for you. Collateral. You baby. did that kind of on a whim? Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. Uh, minions and henchmen. So it's having a large group of followers, minions or henchmen that like to do their bidding. It, it mm-hmm. can range from like. Uh, stupid orcs, like, again, going back to Lord of the Rings, uh, Sauron, he has an army of orcs born from dirt. They're all stupid. They're all evil. Um, then you have, like, you know, a superhero campaign, henchmen might look like skilled marksmen, like hired mercenaries goons. that are goons, that they are intelligent goons. and have weapons and have pack tactics. Uh, this is also going to be Darth Vader and, or anyone in the Empire, really, mm-hmm. and stormtroopers. Stormtroopers, yeah. They don't um, even have to be theirs directly. They can just yeah. be, like, members of the force that sort of that person comes from. Yeah. Uh, cult leader, kind of the same vein, so having that person being sort of worshipped um, in a religious way or a mystical way or even just out of fear. Mm-hmm. You know, like dragons are a great example of this. There are often cults around dragons in D&D because they're just so powerful, not yeah. because like they're mystical. I mean, some of them are, but a lot of the times it's like, here's this big bad dragon that's eaten like thousands of people. And there's this village at the bottom of the mountain that worships that worships him and brings like a young virgin for tribute, uh, you know, every yeah. time. And that's where your party gets inserted, like going with them. And that's kind of a, a good example of cult leader. Uh, Doomsday plot. Their end goal is to end in everything. the world. Yep. Next, we all know it. Um, shape. Okay, I'm, I'm reading this one. Yeah. Uh, shapeshifter or disguiser. Some BBEGs have the ability to change their appearance, making it difficult for the heroes to identify and confront them. Fuck you for that one. That Slimy was slimy, motherfuckers, man. Shapeshifters are very fun villains to play with, especially if you want to mm-hmm. play with the idea of making your characters lose their goddamn sanity. The shapeshifter manipulator combo, fucking phenomenal, dude. Does wonders, truly. Writing wise, absolutely. As a player mm-hmm. at the table, I wanted to reach across the table and throttle Robert sometimes, and I don't know if I wanted to hurt the character or hurt him as a person. I mean, again, that's a, 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 my villains are by far my best NPCs and it's because I I have a very rigid personality at times and I can just get into that petty ass mindset. <laughs> Keloy was by Every far Every single the, villain that we've ever fought has been petty as shit. Keloy by far was like the the king of petty. Like yeah, he absolutely. would not he wouldn't confront people. He wouldn't give people the opportunity to fight him in a fair fight. He, he wouldn't kept trying show to pay up. people to do his work for him and then people just went nah twice. Twice. I gave two people, like, huge stakes to be like, hey, go fuck over the party. And they were like, nah, but we kind of like these guys. But they didn't even like the party, which nope. is the funniest part to me. Nope. Um, but yeah, shapeshifters are, are very fun to play with. Um, immortality or resurrection. Liches. Uh, yeah. Ability to cheat death. Uh, immortality. Yeah. Another one there. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like villains and, like, immortality are always, like, going hand in hand. They're pretty close to it. Palpatine. Palpatine's yeah. a great example of uh, several of those. It almost makes me want to see, like, I want to see, like, a good guy mm-hmm. who's after an obsessed after, mortality. I mean, Paladins can get kind of close to that, but more so in, like, the reward of a task and less so, like, I'm actively seeking it out. Yeah. Um, 
or like any vampires. Um, yeah, any any vampire period. Yeah, and that's kind of like they've already achieved it. So, uh, symbolic motivation. Uh, the motives may be symbolic or representative of larger themes, such as chaos versus order, light versus dark. That's just kind Star of Star Wars. A, yeah, it's a general like it's the foil situation, mm-hmm. um, which I think is always very fun when you like are doing a villain yeah. of creating someone who has either like similar circumstances or similar like ties or similar powers or opposite powers or like this that or the other in just a way that like kind of mirrors um, the situation that the party is in or things kind of like that um, can be really fun to play with and a lot of the time at least in my experience and like noticing those things will come out the more that you play. Mm-hmm. Like it's not something you have to sit down when you're creating a villain and be like, okay, this character is going to be foil in this, 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 in this way. Sometimes I think it comes out more when you're just like going through. Cause like looking back at our world serpent campaign, I think one of the big like themes that emerged from that was like, freedom like the concept of freedom mm-hmm. of like personal freedom of like what does it mean to like own yourself and like be your own person yeah. it's like a really big theme that kind of tied mm-hmm. into every single one of the characters and it was not something that like yeah they just we intentionally wanted, like, talked free. about or like did it was just something that emerged and so when you have a villain who is like all about control and controlling all of these things, mm-hmm. it creates a really nice foil to that. And that wasn't an intentional thing. Sometimes those things will just emerge, especially when you're making a villain who has to oppose the party and oppose your quote-unquote good guys mm-hmm. um, in any way. And, I mean, you can also take all this villain stuff and flip it if you're playing a party full of evil characters and you're making, like, a good guy to stop them. Yeah. It's also one of the... It's not, like, black and white, like, good or bad. 100%. It's uh, and it's it's a lot more fun to let their their sort of motivations, their goals, um, even their personalities sort of grow with the the campaign, as opposed to having them being very hard set from the beginning. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of first time DMs, and just a lot of DMs who are sort of writers at heart will want to, because I've done it a little bit, um, and I've had to sort of scale back in the moment will want to write out their character, like their BBG motivation, their personality, their backstory, like everything before the campaign starts. Um, And that's fine, but also keep in mind that like the best NPCs and players, not even just like villains in general, are the ones that sort of grow with the story and with the narrative. So you can even have villains that aren't planned from the beginning that just sort of grow out of having other NPCs. Like without giving a whole lot away, just because we're still in the middle of this campaign with um, the Capes and Crooks campaign, I don't necessarily have one particular person pegged as the BBEG. I'm kind of letting that uh, happen organically based off the player's choices, based off what NPCs are paid attention to, which ones aren't, which ones the players find more interesting as opposed to other ones. Um, and it's also very common for people to have like primary BBEGs and then like secondary and mm-hmm. then tertiary and so on and so forth. Like having your big guy that's behind the scenes or that's driving a lot of the plot behind. Um, and then having sort of your like second in command or they don't even have to have a relation. They can just be like the first big antagonist they have to get over. Yeah. And then having another one and then having another one. Like you don't have to just have one big villain that does all the fighting and the behind the scenes works like give them a network or just have other people if you want to play in like a more organic and kind of like flowy world have multiple that are all doing their own things Mm -hmm. just have some be like a little smarter than others or have some be like a little more like waiting in the shadows or maybe even like the final bbg of your campaign is like somebody that gets left behind by the party on accident at the like end of the first um, like, big fight with the initial antagonist. Like, it doesn't have to be something that you have planned from the very beginning. Yeah. Improv is very much, like, core to the game um, and is, is like, uh, it's super underrated when it comes to creating characters and motivations and story. Like, just feel it out. I mean, you are also kind of in your own way a player as a DM. Yeah. And I think it's also something, and this isn't specific to our campaign, this is legitimately things I've seen elsewhere, which... Um, is like a lot of people always kind of 
want to gravitate towards like a surprise villain mm-hmm. as well or like a plot twist. Yeah, this person was the bad guy the mm-hmm. whole time of like whether it's like an NPC that everyone really likes Sorry. or whether it's I and I this did, is I did not a, I did in a regards bit with like I'll give you that. Oh, I wasn't even thinking about that. I yeah. had Mitchell I to be fair though, I had the thing with Mitchell wrote way in advance. Like yeah. way in advance. Looks like for the longest time I couldn't figure out where I wanted Keloy as a character to be. Mm-hmm. And it just didn't make any sense with the way that I had written the story for him to like be in the back rooms or because I mean there's no way that he would have been able to have sight on everything that was happening. So to me it made the most sense for his sort of like personality persona, his like his abilities to put him in like hibernation mode as an NPC yeah. that's mostly gonna be safe. Uh, for anyone who did not see the uh, episode we did about the World Serpents Inn, uh, Mitchell was the bartender in the inn, and Magnolia was always was there. Like, was always yeah, this is to this is my new best friend. I'm gonna tell him all of my personal information, and then it turned out it was the bad guy who was a shapeshifter mm-hmm. um, the whole time. The, I think the sad thing about that, even too, was, and this is kind of goes to like making a complex villain, is that Mitchell as a character had was completely unaware. Like yeah. who he really was. Yeah. So all of that information gathering and those questions and that probing and that advice, like that wasn't done with malicious intent. That was done as whoever the character thought they were. That's kind of where the fun of playing a shapeshifter gets in. I love the idea of like shapeshifters losing their identities and trying to figure out which one is their real personality. Mm-hmm. Um, that happens in My Hero Academia with a character called Twice. He makes a bunch of copies of himself and then forget forgets which one is the real one and then kills them all. And Jesus. then he's like, for the rest of his life, he's like, I don't know if I'm one of the copies or if I'm the original. Because they all have the ability to do the exact same thing, and it's not dependent on having the original body there. Hmm. Um, and that's kind of the way that I like to play him. But like even that, having the character or the villain sort of have this sort of tragic, I mean, flaw. Like His flaw was very much in his ability to be a shapeshifter. I mean, it was the mm-hmm. thing that made him the most powerful. But it's ultimately what also gave like the players such a big leg up in the beginning and kept him from interacting with them because he was stuck. Yeah. Um, some other things, again, ChatGPT, um, just kind of looked up like tips of making villains in case there's anything I left out. Flaws and weaknesses, please make them fallible. <laughs> They're a lot more fun if they are fallible. I thought you truly. were just going to say, please make them foul. No, make them, like, make them fallible. Make them uh, have some sort of weakness, whether it be physical, emotional, uh, something tied to their past, a name, a person, an event, a place. PTSD. Emotional weaknesses are really fun because you'll learn real fast. No matter how good aligned your party is, they will mm. use that. Oh yeah, when it, so comes, fast. when it comes to a BBEG, unless you're like playing in a party full of like paladins and clerics, no. Things nope. are gonna the get second, so personal. The second they figure out that there's a name or a phrase or a location or like an emotional sore point that they can lay on, they will <laughs> every time. It's like it's, it's like bad. The BBEG goes to like strike the heart of your ally, and immediately somebody across the table is like, "Your mother died in the fire, bitch." Yeah, it's. It's just balls to Can the you wall. Roll a disadvantage, it's, like it's like everyone's trying to basically use like vicious mockery. None of them are bards. They're mm-hmm. just saying foul shit. Just happening. Um, I mean, this kind of this one goes sort of almost without a given or with yeah without a given. It's complex morality, like having yeah. them be a, a little um, kind of swishy. Like not every villain sees themselves as the villain or wholly evil. Or uh, what happens when a villain saves one of the party members? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, or like maybe the villain's sort of ulterior motives really uh, work well with a mission that the players are on. And so that mm-hmm. villain chooses to work with them. And it doesn't even have to be like a reluctant work with them. Maybe he wants to. Maybe they maybe they are super interested in actually getting to know the players for some random reason. Um, and that can be kind of fun too. Not necessarily inserting them as a plant, but um having your villains work closely with your players in as close to a mutual relationship as you can force yeah uh or that feels natural because it's a way for for both the villain and the players to sort of get to know one another in a slightly less negative context which 100 percent changes the outlook yeah it's like if i've spent time with these four people maybe they saved my life maybe i saved their lives maybe we're both working on something that like i know is ultimately sort of furthering an evil plan but for them, it's like saving a small village with very important people or people they care about. Maybe then the, when it comes time for the villain to kill one of the players, they choose not to. Yeah. You know, like they spare them in this moment of like, you know what, you helped me or I understand where you're coming from. We have a very similar background. That makes it a lot more interesting. That kind of ties into the next one that it has on here, which is personal connections to the protagonist. 
It doesn't have to be they killed their mother in a freak accident. It doesn't yeah. have to be he was there and watched. My the mother whole house was killed by down. Dalmatians, and that's why I want a puppy. Yeah, coat. it doesn't have to be that. Um, it can truly just be like some plot lines that align. It can be a familial tie, a past friendship. Um, they were at the same fucking. I don't know. They were on the same street corner yeah. when so and so got killed, and my that dad was... knew your dad. Oh yeah, or like a great <laughs> example. Um, Again, my hero, I've, I've watched a lot of the anime and I've read a fair amount of the manga. Like, there's this big character who's kind of like the opposite of their BBEG called All Might, who's basically like Superman for this universe. And his existence is like the catalyst for um, two of the main protagonists to like become really, really, really great and super proficient heroes. And he is also the catalyst for causing um, two of the best villains and ultimately like the final villain. I won't give spoilers away for those that want to read or watch their motivation for being the way they are. Mm -hmm. So the two protagonists are very much like, he's inspiring, he does it all, he always wins, he stands for everything that's great, he's the symbol of peace, I want to be that. And the, the villains on the other side of that fence see it as like, he is what's, he is everything that is wrong with this world. Like he is somebody that should not have that much power, he doesn't pay attention to the little guys, he causes more harm than good, and then that sort of kicks off both sides. And even that can be a personal connection. Uh, because then when it comes time for those characters to meet, it's like there's this odd mutual understanding of like this character in the universe that you've created, mm -hmm. um, where it's like, and then it's kind of like a fun back and forth between the two characters. You can have arguments and like asides and this is yeah. what he stands for. No, he doesn't. Like, fuck him, you know? And I was saying, like on the more like surface level of that, and we've kind of talked about it before, of like um, if there's a way that you can get your villain to have like a personal connection um to every single one of the party members mm -hmm. that's always like super dope yeah good luck it's always like super sick it's difficult it's very but, very difficult to write that in um, depending on how many players you have truly yeah i mean if you're playing at a table full of like like with like six or seven players nah but if you're playing at a table full of like three people four mm -hmm. people um i think it's a lot more manageable but that's also like another really fun one um and I, what you were talking about before of like uh the complex morality i think makes for such interesting encounters because it also opens the door to options with when dealing with a villain that are not just combat. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, there's all the jokes of like, put the gun down, this isn't you. Uh -huh. Like, obviously not to that level, but like having a conversation with being like, what are we doing here? Mm -hmm. What are you doing? Yeah. And like opening the door for like non-traditional options, which I'm very pro non-traditional options in D&D &D because I think it's fun. I think it's fun to turn the tables yep. and try new things. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that's one of those that kind of like sets it's gonna that It's going to be a, such a, an interesting reference because I don't know what the age range of our listeners are. I mean, I've already said Lord of the Rings, so I guess I'm a fucking old man anyways. Spider-Man 3 <laughs> was the first one that came to mind. We were talking about that because... <laughs> Spider-Man 3, uh, the original Sam Raimi trilogy, fucking phenomenal. Spider-Man 1 and 2 were great. 2 is one of the best Spider-Man movies of all time. You can fight me on that. Spider-Man 3 has three different villains. It has Sandman, it has Venom, and it has um, the Green Goblin. Wild movie, side note. Hobgoblin. Yeah, they try to do a lot. Um, and in the very beginning, it looks like the primary villain of the movie is ultimately going to be... Um, Hobgoblin in the form of Harry, who goes mm -hmm. like nuts after his father Cuckoo gets for killed Cocoa Puffs. by Spider-Man. Um, and then, of course, he finds out that Spider-Man is Peter, and then it kind of drives this really interesting wedge in their relationship. But he was the first one that came to mind in terms of like having that switch over time, like seeing who Peter is as Spider-Man, seeing that his motivations weren't like malicious and sort of really calling on that friendship. And in the very end, he ends up sacrificing himself to save Peter. Yeah. Uh, and that was kind of the first one that came to mind when I was thinking of like really complex villains that sort of start off incredibly dark and evil, but have that really twisted personal connection that then sort of turns into something very different that you don't really expect. Yeah. I think stuff like that is always so, so, so much fun to explore. And it also makes, um, as a player at the table, that shit, if it's like a non-traditional option, it doesn't matter how many times you've seen it in a movie, it feels unique and fresh to you and mm -hmm. it feels like catered to your table and your party. 100%. I think, so this is something more from the stat block side of things and mechanically giving them unique abilities and memorable abilities um, is always really fun. It makes them uh, a lot more like dynamic to play with in combat. It also makes them a lot more fun from the player's perspective to have to try and interact with mechanically because it's like, damn, that's bullshit, but that's so cool. Yeah. He's like, that's how his powers work. Or, oh, that's what he was spending all that money on. Or that's why he was robbing those shipments. Like, he was building this big weapon. Um, that's 
for me, it's one of the most fun things to do is, is stat blocks for villains because, like, sky's the limit, and you can make them as fucked up and crazy as you want because it's, like, that's just going to add to how cool they are. Yeah, you and know? it's one of those things where, like, as a player, you're like, God, fuck it, damn it. That's so cool, but fuck, that sucks. Or just being, like, if they've got an item and you're like, oh, my God, I can't wait till we kill him and I could take oh my that. God. The amount of times that he would pull a magical item out and <laughs> use it in combat and they would be like, I cannot wait to loot his body. <laughs> Which didn't happen, by the way. No, because he got eaten by a dragon. He did. He got we eaten couldn't. by a dragon. Uh, but it doesn't even have to be uh, anything particularly broken. I mean, it could also be something that happens in a role play, like a unique ability. Maybe they can read players' minds. Maybe mm -hmm. they can, like, they always, uh, they force people to always tell them the truth. Or, um, like distinctive skills, maybe like they're incredibly good detectives or they are really, really good at manipulating people. Like, and so what that looks like from a role player perspective is like having a plus 10 or 15 to charisma rolls, or mm -hmm. like they can always take a 15 if they would roll anything lower, like stuff like that. Uh, I'll say, jumping ahead on the little list you have pulled up here, I think uh -huh. that, that the unique ability thing ties really well into mystery and intrigue. Um, because I think also when you have these really unique abilities for these villains and stuff mm -hmm. that your players like are like not introducing them being like, hey, this is what this guy can do. Mm -hmm. But you're just like watching an interaction or going through an interaction. And then suddenly this character who you've like this NPC that you trust the the fucking bad guy just walks in and says, let me in the room. And mm -hmm. they just fucking step aside. Yep. And you're like, what was that? Mm -hmm. Mystery and intrigue. Yeah, having there be sort of like really behind the scenes. I mean, that's mystery and intrigue is really where like plot twist comes in. Where yeah. it's like you're keeping secrets, your BBG is sort of manipulating things behind the scenes, and then it's kind of like when that final confrontation happens, pieces click. Yeah. We just had one of those things happen last session. Um, one character was blissfully unaware that he was being watched because he didn't care to check ever. Uh, and then was confronted by his boss that turned out to be a really like shitty showdown for him. Yeah. Uh, but that's, again, like, signs were on the wall, 100%. Like, I I threw out every possible red flag, and he trusted the character enough. He didn't expect the NPC to sort of figure that out when he did and how he did. And that was the twist, him being, like, at the very end of that conversation. It was very pleasant. Well, pleasant. It was very much like, a, you do this. We're great. We're squared away. I'm your boss. We're great friends. Also, I need you to drop the superhero identity. And his response, the, the player's response to the table was literally, he looked at me, he goes, what? <laughs> and I said, you need to drop your superhero identity. And then I was like, it's hands, or you drop and you work. And he was yeah. like, hands. And then, of course, it didn't go well for him. But, no. Uh, anyways, that's kind of a, another example of sort of how that can happen. I think when it comes to stat block stuff and mechanically talking about unique abilities, it doesn't have to be like, oh, my God, it doesn't have to be anything stupid like... Um, you made oh. so many. You you spent so long on stat blocks last night. So you can come up with something. Long on stat blocks last night. Well, so I, I'd made somebody that could very much work as a BBEG if she ever got turned the other direction. But a great example is I gave her a lot of very unique abilities that fit her character and fit what her powers are that aren't necessarily in the book that I'm using. Um, like one of them is, and this is going to be a, a fucking minor spoiler, but whatever. Anything for the podcast. Hey, this shit sucks. Do you have something you want to send in to make it better? Criticisms, topics you'd like to see discussed, or an advertisement you'd like to run? Maybe you even want to sponsor an episode. If so, shoot us a message at mc460 at evansville.edu or DM us on Instagram at Crescent Magazine. Or we'll never get better like these fucking guys. I gave her an ability to use multiple signature powers on one turn, but it has a significantly um, high physical toll on her. But that's something that's unique to her character and her character only because she's one of the very few people in this universe that can have two powers at once and balances them incredibly well. Uh, that's kind of what propelled her to be like the number one hero in the city. Um, nobody else can do that. There's nothing mechanically in the book or in the universe that allows people to do that that is solely unique to her. Mm -hmm. uh, with it comes an immense physical toll, but it's only it's only one that she can do because she has the ability to take that toll, and she spent years mastering how to use both of those powers at the same time. Um, and I think that also goes into the point of like when you're giving your your villains these really cool and unique abilities balance them in a way mm -hmm. where it's like yeah they're super cool and they have their moments of like where they're like a little bit op but like mm -hmm. at the same time are still a mortal being that your players can fight mm -hmm. or have a chance of winning against in another scenario yeah 100 percent um i'm gonna just 
pull up the the improved initiative tracker. I've talked about it several times. I'm going to log in real quick and then kind of read you bits of that particular stat block here in a second just so you guys can get an idea of what some of those unique abilities could look like. Um, another one, one of the things in this list is show, don't tell. So instead of just monologuing about the BBEG's power, have them, like, physically, like, it's the actions and the impact on the world, like, yeah. very much let their actions speak for them as much as their words do. Yeah. Especially if your BBG is, like, strong, silent type. Yeah. I think that goes for, and I'll talk for a little bit while Robert's logging in. Hell yeah. Um, I think that's something that also, balance, like, you can do that in um, combat, and you can also do that outside of combat, of you can show weaknesses, and you can show um, kind of, like, personality um, in ways that are not just like directly monologuing about, okay, this is where I'm from. This is uh, who my parents were. This is how my parents died in this tragic thing mm -hmm. of like, but you can show and like have your players do perception checks and be like, cool, you can tell that this person is like something about being in this location. He's off. Like he's different um, or there's something going or she's um, like definitely struggling with something. Um, which allows, A, for more of that, like, mystery and intrigue and lets your players feel like they are putting together something. It makes all the pieces kind of click into place nicer when they eventually do get to figure out some of that information, if they get to figure it out, if they ask about it, or if mm -hmm. they look for it. Because sometimes you also need to kind of make peace with the fact of, like, not every asset or facet of your villain uh, that you've spent so much time um, pouring your heart and soul into is going to get paid attention to yeah because no, sometimes I people are just going to kill the villain that you spent so much time on mm -hmm. way earlier than you anticipated and you're just gonna be like well shit yeah. time to come up with a new one well shit indeed man truly um i think that's that's something also to be aware of whenever you're making bbgs is that there is a strong chance that these characters that you've spent a lot of time on um, do not get the spotlight or die very early on or people just don't give a fuck about them yeah um that happens. Have backups. Like, have backups. Have so many backups. Everyone is expendable, even the big bad guy. Mm -hmm. um, there was a an episode of Adventuring Party that Brendan Lee Mulligan was talking about this time that he made this, like, really cool ranger villain, and he was, like, shooting arrows That's at the, the party. Exact, yeah, that was the uh, like, I was thinking about. on a cliff, and it looks like the arrows are, like, coming from the setting sun, and it's, like, so sick. And guess what? The party fucking caught him. And killed him in the first session that he was introduced. They trapped his ass, and he and died. Yeah, Brendan Lee Mulligan was like, well, okay. That's fun. That's so cool. Like, that's something that is going to happen to you. Mm -hmm. 100%. Um, it is going to happen to everyone. The villain is going to die sooner than you wanted them to. You're still going to have, like, things that you didn't want. Mm-hmm that you wanted to explore, that you wanted to talk about, or you wanted to, like, get done with them that are not going to get done. I don't want to reveal a whole lot of things for her mechanically, so I'm going to go to the other stat block I made for another hero in the universe called Inferno. Um, so he has one of the things I gave him. He's not a villain, but he very much... A lot of your special NPCs will be built out statistic, like stat block-wise and unique ability-wise, like BBEGs, if you care about them enough. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I gave him, he's a, a very large character in-game. He's very broad-shouldered. He's very, uh, like, constitution is Built like a high. linebacker. Yeah, and his his powers are pyromancy. So he's a, a really, really, really adept fire user. He's the, the second-ranked hero in the city behind Surge. Um, so he's really good, which that is very much mirroring off of, for those that have seen my hero, the All Might and, uh, and uh, fucking, what's his name? Holy shit, Dakota's going to yell at me for not remembering his name. I'm going to move on. This is going to the compilation of Robert Forgetting Names. Robert Forgetting Names. Um, Endeavor. Be a new Jesus segment. Christ, Endeavor. Inferno is very much based off Endeavor. So one of the things that I gave him is a legendary action, uh, which legendary actions can happen at the end of any other um We've talked Any about other those creatures before. Turn. They're such bullshit. So the one that I gave Inferno, because he's very much like a legendary hero, is something called Raging Inferno. So in this particular setting, or in this particular system, there are what are called stamina dice. You can spend those stamina dice to do any number of things. Uh, you can use them to bring yourself back from zero to however many stamina die you spend yeah. on it. It requires half. Uh, you get more of them as you level up. You can add them to different roles, like maintaining concentration. Um, they can be used for any number of things. But for Inferno, a lot of his powers, like the sort of the hotter he gets, the more of a physical toll it takes on his body. So one of the legendary actions I gave him is that at the end of somebody's turn, 
uh, he can sacrifice any number of stamina dice at the end of another creature's turn and roll them as damage dice during his next attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and he has a lot of stamina dice. He's a very stamina-heavy character. Um, and he has D8s. What if we didn't do that? So what what this could look like mechanically then, let's say I make Inferno a villain, um, and in a fight he gets really mad. So the way that uh, pyromancers are talked about, at least in the source book, is that they're... Uh, they're very brutal. They're very brunt. They have a very fiery personality to sort of match their using, match their powers, and it's very much what Inferno was like. Uh, and so maybe he's like trying to one shot a villain, or he just gets really pissed off, and he has to sort of dig deep. At the end of a player's turn, he spends six stamina dice, and now the next time he hits anybody with an ability or like with a power, he's going to add six d8s to that like damage. Jesus. Um, so that's what that could look Christ. like mechanically. Also, what that has looked like in terms of unique abilities is Keloy, uh, because he was an incredible. I mean, he was a god that uh, whose primary power was shape shifting, um, and he managed to hone that to such a degree that he could replicate any spell he saw once for every time he's seen it happen. That shit was so annoying. So and well, I was struggling to come up with in this. Trust me, for those of you that like to write or, or want to be a DM, this will happen. Um, you will struggle to write stat blocks for unique characters, especially your BBEGs. And a lot of what I'm thinking of when I'm going through and I'm making these stat blocks is what what abilities best fit the character, what mechanically makes sense. So, like, I had a laundry list. So you can ask Madison. She was there. I had a it was fucking shopping list of abilities that I wanted to give Surge. How many was it There were total? Se- well, I had already added seven or eight different things to her stat block. Um, mix of traits, powers, abilities, whatever. And then I had about 16, 17 additional things that I wanted to give her, and I narrowed it down it was by so far. Much. I was rolling dice, basically mm-hmm. narrowing down. I, I went through and basically... Uh, between Madison rolling dice to kind of give me an indicator of which ones I should get rid of, um, kind of like a draw, like a chance at D&D. I also reasoned with myself, as much as I would love her to have this ability, it makes zero sense with what she's best at. Like, I would love to give her cure wounds so that she can fucking heal herself, but her powers, nowhere in there, does she have the ability to heal herself or heal other people. So I didn't give her cure wounds. I didn't give her anything that's health-based. Same thing with Inferno. There were several uh, abilities that I wanted to give Surge, like Savage Strikes or Reckless Attack, but it didn't really make sense for her character, so I gave it yeah. to Inferno instead, who's very much a, like, run into combat and do as much damage as possible, like, finish the fight quick. Um, and so that's kind of helpful whenever you're trying to come up with stat blocks for unique NPCs or villains. Um, but there also, again, has to be some sort of a drawback. Like, yeah. the the biggest drawback with Kiloy, I mean, being able to replicate any spell he saw was incredibly powerful, but that was all he had in his arsenal. Yeah. Like, what fucked him the most and what worked really well for the party is they had two ridiculously fucking broken martial characters Mm -hmm. that just squared up on him any chance that they got. Yeah. Uh, And he couldn't do a whole lot about it. It was very much that thing of, like, in the D&D movie where the, the, like, red wizard is, like, about to cast some spells and then the owlbear just fucking pummels Mm -hmm. Heard of the ground. Yeah, is that like bonged with the fucking ukulele wizards can only do so much mm-hmm. when you're just beating the shit out of them. And so Kilo's weakness in that way was very much a martial weakness. Like yeah. we had two very powerful magic users in the party for that particular encounter, um, but again, he's a shapeshifter. I mean, he could have changed into I don't know, like a larger creature, but he had just done that at the combat encounter before. Yeah. Um, he was very much like a like a two parter. He had like a phase one and a phase two type deal. Yeah. But like that is the single unique characteristic I gave him, uh, and it was it made for a really fun fight. It, yeah. it was very bullshit because that's just who his character I, I was. I was so mad. But there was a downfall to him, and that that was the only thing he had. He had no unique spells of his own. So as long as the players didn't cast spells, he couldn't do anything. Yeah, but when you've got two magic users who are when you cast disintegrate <laughs> twice. It makes for a fun character that can then cast yeah. Disintegrate twice. No, I'll tell you the worst part was when he started being able to roll for wild magic surges. Mm-hmm. I was so pissed about that. Yeah. Well, I was like, part of it too, and this is kind of going back to themes when you're talking about creating your villain, he was very much sort of the uh, the low end or like the, the evil manifestation, if you will, of everything the campaign was about, which was yeah. like... Um, 
kind of referencing like a great movie, Anything, Everywhere, All at Once. Phenomenal mm-hmm. movie, by the way. If you haven't seen it, I highly, men- highly recommend it. I love that we keep hyping up very, very popular very works popular of movies. media on this podcast. Oh, like watch it. Have. It was phenomenal if you haven't. But that was very much the idea of the campaign is that you could go anywhere, anytime, um, and meet any litany of different people. So I'm like, what kind of a villain then do I put in that kind of a setting where the players can literally be exposed to anything at any given time. Mm-hmm. And it was a character that embodied that to the, the worst extent. Yeah. Um, like having somebody that then is going to take advantage of that system and then sort of abuse it to the maximum, Yeah. Uh, which is being manipulative because he could bribe any number of people from across the multiverse. He yeah. had access to a ridiculous amount of wealth and then relying on his powers as a shapeshifter cataloging all these powerful individuals that he's ever met and making those his abilities as opposed to relying on his own. Yeah. Um, same thing with, and that's kind of what's difficult about making a BBEG for the superhero campaign is there are a lot of goddamn themes right now. Yeah. Like there are a lot of themes and it's very hard to find a central theme. And so I'm kind of leaning towards having multiple villains in my back pocket because, yeah, you know, the fuck else am I supposed to do? It's also a thing we're playing so many different types of characters in our superhero campaign. Like everyone in World Serpents, while we didn't get along very well, mm-hmm. um, there were some similarities between all of us that like kind of came to the forefront. Um, but currently in the superhero campaign, it is it is a slew of truly wildly different people mm-hmm. with very few things connecting them. Yeah. Um, other than being like, "Hey, let's be on a team together." Mm-hmm. Um, so how do you how do you balance that? How do you like find an in between for that? Yeah, I think um, which is definitely a challenge that other DMs who are listening to this are gonna be facing. Yeah, and I mean, I think kind of talking here at the tail end of the villain conversation, um, using villains pro tip, using villains as a way to drive your party together and forcing them to work together, it, it's. An incredibly powerful tool. Um, I mean, it's nothing bonds people like hate. No, swear to God, that's how me and my fiance first started like <laughs> great friends in the beginning. Was we just we mutually love to fucking hate on people, and it yeah. was just like the great. Y'all still thing. do. We still do. We still do all I, the time. Don't act like that's in the One past. Of our tense. favorite things to do is to make fun of people together. Um, uh. But anyways, yeah, like truly, nothing brings together. Nothing brings people together like hate. Yeah, Nothing. it is it is insane. It is the quickest way to bond a party. It is I've seen it happen at the table. Mm-hmm. It happened in the first episode of the oh superhero God. campaign. Y'all didn't um, even know who he was as a person. I didn't have like, any issue. A, he was a douchebag. The character was very much like a, a college bro douchebag, and everybody at the table was like, hit him. Hit like him, immediately. Hit him, but he like him. opened his mouth and like said like some snide comment, which wasn't mm-hmm. even like that bad compared to some stuff he said later. And everyone at the table immediately turned to me because my character was the one talking to him and just goes, hit him. Hit him right now. There's nobody around. There's no witnesses. Mm -hmm. Throw hands. Or if it's like if you have one player who's not super engaged with your campaign uh, or who's having a hard time finding their motivation, sort of insert a a, a sort of direct result of that villain's actions or have that villain pull a lever behind the scenes that then sort of forces that player into action or gives them an appropriate reason to sort of become activated, I guess. Yeah. Uh, They are, again, they're not just supposed to be plot devices, but by all means, if you're the one writing the campaign, use them as such. Yeah. I think there's a balance. You can use things as a plot device without them just becoming plot devices as long as you're balancing them with personality Mm -hmm. Um, and, like, their own motivations and life of their own. Yeah. like, you can have a really cool potted plant as your villain, and it's fine. It can be a plot device. It can be a potted plant. But, mm. like, That's give it personality. Funny. Just a potted plant. Yeah. <laughs> so that was one of my favorite things. In like, and this is maybe, like, a theater thing. Uh, anytime there was, like, a main character in a show or something that, like, didn't really do much but was the main character, mm-hmm. it was, like, kind of the catalyst, we'd be like, cool, so they're the potted plant. Like, you could replace this character with a potted plant, and the plot would be the same because they don't add anything to it. They just kind of go around and like things happen to them. Yeah, just I think maybe a couple more things and then we'll we'll cut it How off. How do you here. make a hateable villain? Well, I was gonna I was gonna hit one more point on this oh. list and then we can do that. So one of the things on this list that I really appreciate that I think we've already talked a lot about is evolution and adaptation. So allowing your BBG to evolve as a story adapts. We talked about that towards the beginning, but what I like about what it says here at the tail end is sort of um, learning from their failures, right? Like have them. Yes, they have flaws. Yes, they have weaknesses if you've built them correctly, but also have them learn from their mistakes. Like, yeah. that's very much how Keloy was the first couple of combat encounters he had. I mean, it, it was fairly, fairly one sided, but even, even from that one sided perspective, he was always watching 
uh, and making perception checks to try and figure out how somebody's powers worked or the best way to disable a character, or paying mm-hmm. attention to what damages um, somebody might be vulnerable to or resistant to so that the next time they have a combat encounter or the next time he sends some goons, he sends the right goons or he yeah. prepares the right spells or gets the right artifacts. Like not sending uh, plant creatures after a party with where multiple people have the blight spell. Yeah, which that wasn't his choice, but um, <laughs> it happened like that anyways. Uh, the other thing with that too is like having them sort of switch tactics. Like if you have a BBG who's just like a big, broad, strong, dumb brute, mm-hmm. like yes, it is fun to just have somebody rampage and fucking berserk against the camp, like against a party, but like that is going to get so old so quick. Yeah. Um, switch it up. Give them a fun mechanical advantage, unique abilities. Also, feel free to change the terrain when they're around. Um, like, I think a really cool way to um, is to have them prepare environments to fight their, like, to fight your players in uh, and having that be what changes up their mechanics. Like, I just came fresh off of Spider Man 2. Great game. Uh, Craven is absolutely, I mean, anybody that's read Marvel Comics knows Craven is like, he's a, he's a hunter and he's like that guy. He, hunts motherfuckers for sport, doesn't matter how big, strong, powerful superpowers they have, uh, and his, like, penultimate challenge, the, yeah, the one no, hunt... Yeah, you getting chased. <laughs> yeah, the one hunt that he loved the most was, like, Spider-Man with the symbiote, and it gets to the point where, as you progress through the game, he sort of pokes and prods Peter into environments where he knows he's gonna have the advantage. Yeah. Because he's a hunter, that's what he does. Like, he's going to set up a sniper's nest. He's going to have a bell nearby that the symbiote is weak to. He's going to have things that overwhelm uh, Peter's, like Spider-Man's spider sense by having multiple small, like, sort of goons in the area that are all going to trigger that off at once so that when he's in the back firing his rifle or taking his big shot, the player, in this case, Spider-Man, will be overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, have your villain make a make a little spend time DIY and Pinteresting yeah, a little. We just had we just had that happen like two sessions ago. Yeah, I fully had an idea that a particular character, once they had checked that my villain was at the top of this building, was going to come bolting at me. Crazy choice. Um, she was she's a character that very much. I mean, we just recently found out that she has uh, a very like intimate knowledge of each player in her mind. Um, and so has a very good idea of how to counteract them. And the only person that really made sense in her mind that was going to try and come for her is the only character that was good aligned enough and angry enough of a person to do it was the Shadow, who has a a pretty distinct weakness to light. Light. Uh, So in preparation for this particular fight, she set up a shit ton of spotlights in the room Mm -hmm. so that when he showed up to try and confront her, motherfucker got hit with spotlights and almost died. I mean, she also almost died in that encounter. Crazy uh, encounter. Yeah, she almost died in the first the first time I got the user. Like truly, she almost died immediately. Um, Everyone yeah. is expendable. Everyone is expendable. Traps, etc. Uh, back to your question: How do you make a hateable villain? Oh, Jesus, I mean, I'm so good at it, right? I make hateable heroes, truly. <laughs> I just make hateable NPCs in general. Yeah. Um, share your expertise. Uh, share your expertise. I think having villains that are. Um, dynamic is a great way to start so don't just make them evil to be evil it is very easy to like kind of roll your eyes and go yeah like it's the saurons it's the voldemorts it's like the guys that are just fucking dicks to be dicks like Mm -hmm. they're not hateable so much as they are like a milestone like we gotta go slay the big dragon at the top of the hill i think how my favorite way to make them sort of hateable is to make them relatable in some aspect. <laughs> like, ground them in some true-to-life, person-to-person characteristic that you know is going to, like, sort of hit with the party because then it makes that that internal conflict on their end trying to fight that character so much more difficult to do. Yeah. I think having your villains be smart is another really great way to make them hateable. Like, do like it's perfectly good and well to throw sort of big, large boulders with a lot of hit points and very big attacks at people and just kind of have that be, like, the character. It's another thing to have, like, a villain that sits and waits outside of somebody's house and, like, surveils them or learns intimate details about their personal life. Um, trauma is definitely one of the best ways. <laughs> go after their loved ones. Go after their family members. Go after their friends, their, like, NPCs. Um, sabotage them in key moments like have your villain be their number one hater 
in some way <laughs> or another. That's your catchphrase. Make, make them petty, make them a hater, make them smart. That is a like perfect recipe to making a hateable villain. Because they're never, you're never going to, if you're playing it smart, you're never going to provide them with an opportunity to just outright beat your villain. You're never going to yeah. give them the one up in a situation because you're never going to, they're never going to have one. You're always going to take shots at the things that they care about the most to try and break the character. Because I mean, that's Play just, dirty. I, basically, play that's dirty. what. Throw some dirt in their eye. Yeah. Like 100% sling mud. No holds bar. Just be a bitch. <laughs> be a straight bitch. Uh, I found another way to make them hateable is to just make them really powerful. Make them yeah. incredibly difficult to damage or to interact with. Like, give them a, a mechanic or a shield that makes them invulnerable to, like, every kind of damage except for one. So then you can yeah, send them that on. that pisses people off at the table so fast. Or when they roll a 25 to hit and you say, that's a miss, that shit pisses people off like no other. Because it's like, are you... This is one of the best rolls I've had at this table. I'd be throwing things, and I don't, I didn't, I don't hit them on a twenty-five. I don't hit them. No, you do, you don't, you don't hit them. But for that, I would say don't just give them an AC that's like thirty-five or some shit. Yeah. Like give them some mechanic that sort of makes them invulnerable to this, or makes players automatically miss when they swing with this type of weapon or this kind of spell. That sort of a deal. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's really it. I mean, just one of the things you said earlier about making them true to real life. Mm -hmm. I think that is the way that I've seen at the table that people hate the quickest. Mm -hmm. Just on like sure thing is like everyone knows an asshole in real life. Mm -hmm. Everyone knows, and like you, most of the time you will have a base level of knowledge of the people you're playing with. Mm -hmm. um, or maybe that's just our table because we're all no, very like, good friends. Totally. But most of the yeah. time you should, the and you, you know. Idea you get of what kind of a villain's really going to get under yeah, their skin. Yeah, you know people's pet peeves. You know the type of people that certain people hate. Mm -hmm. One of the quickest ways at our table, just in general, because it pisses people off across the board, like kind of misogynistic douchebag. Yep. Everyone's going to hate. Everyone at that table immediately, immediately jumps on that shit. Like immediately is like ready to throw hands. But you know what's fun? Uh, what's fun about that? Kilo was never that stereotype. No. Never. Not once. No. He was just a creep. Yeah, no, he was just a creep. He was just always one step ahead of the players. And yeah. I think that's what was the most frustrating thing about him is that there was never a way for you all to catch up. Yeah. He was just too goddamn smart. He had too long to plan. He was just too good at what he did. Yeah. You know? And, like, it finally came down to a big confrontation. So, um, basically, find your friend's we personal weak points. No, find really them like, as a real person. That's your player. Well, for one, like, I'll give a couple examples. Um, Dakota is an incredibly caring person. He's very empathetic, and he almost always fills some sort of role at the table, regardless of the character he's playing, to help others. Yeah. Like, he's very much, I want to shelter these people. I want to give them mechanical advantages in combat. I want to help them succeed. I want to help them live. I'm going to forego turns to make sure that they can, like, do things that are fun in combat. Yeah. So having a villain that then is just like going to harm players in really like sort of evil and malicious ways has always been a really easy way to piss him off as a, as a player at the table. Yeah. Like that's what Keloy in particular, I remember one that final combat, he had a choice and it was either to go after Keloy yeah. or revive one of the teammates. And he was like, I straight up told him, I was like, if you hit him, there's a good chance you could down him. But if you do that, there's also a really good chance that your teammate's going to die. Yeah. And he was like, through, like, very upset at what the decision he had to make. He was like, fuck it, I'm just going to go for the teammate. Yeah. You know, like, just, uh, you know what, whatever. Teammate it is. Um, and, like, having players make those decisions can feel a little bad sometimes from the, from the DM's perspective. Like, as much as I enjoy making those villains, it does kind of hurt to... Like, as an empathetic person myself, I don't like when my players get that <laughs> upset at me um, or when they get upset as, as players, but sometimes that's, like, the best way to make a villain hateable. Make them upset yeah. in real life. Yeah. For Madison, it's having character, having villains that uh, directly thwart what her character does mechanically. Yeah. Um, that shit that She's very min-maxi. She's very, like, I got a particular build and I can't wait to use it in combat and encounters and role play. So make a villain that just says no. Yeah. Make a villain that just says no. Uh, you you got magic? I got better magic. That shit pissed me off You're so You're really much. great at performing? I can turn myself into any being at any time. It was so fucking infuriating. Mm -hmm. And then like for, I mean, Jesus Christ, the other people at the table. I don't have to go down the whole list, but like those are just two really great examples yeah. of like have your villains be like the antithesis to your real life players. Yeah. You know? 
because like very quickly patterns will emerge of the way that certain people play mm-hmm. um and there's like no avoiding or escaping that um because even if you're playing like characters that are so completely different there's gonna and be that's how I got the shadow to charge at the the antagonist and yeah. a couple of counters ago prodigal is that like i knew that the character he was playing and who he is in real life he was gonna get pissed off the second i downed like the children in the party yeah you know like the, it the fucking 18 year old and the 20 year old uh-huh. get sniped and he goes no, yeah. the second, fuck that. The second they went down, he was like, I'm going to make the decision for the next several rounds of combat to just sprint up this building and try and 1v1 her. Yeah. You know? Goad your players. Go for the soft Play dirty. That's Go that's for the soft spots, baby. The, the moral of this is mm-hmm. uh, be fucked up. Be fucked up. Uh, I do want to ask you something really quick before we end, because I feel like I've talked a lot. What do you enjoy the most about interacting with villains at the table? I really enjoy the the moments outside of combat. Mm-hmm. I think that that build because I'm someone who I'm very story driven. I'm very uh, for the plot. I make dumb decisions as a character because I think that it would be good for the plot. It makes for um, some fantastic role playing. Like that's that's my shtick. As much as I enjoy combat, so the moments that you get to interact with a villain um, when you are not fighting are always where like the meat lies for me. Mm. Uh, because that's when you get to know the motivations and that's when you create this like complex morality because I don't think it's as fun to have a story where it's just like, okay, cool, I'm Harry Potter, that's Voldemort. There's no room for like a conversation about morality or like maybe there is good in him or like is what we are doing right? There's no room for that. He's a Nazi. You kill him. Like <laughs> he, he wants to eradicate races yeah. um, versus a villain where you get to interact with and be like, okay, here's some like parallels, or like mm. any time that you're dealing with like um, a villain who has like a pers- like a personal connection um, to your character is always really interesting to me mm-hmm. because it creates an uncomfortable feeling in me as a player you know, of like being like Simba and like the evil uncle, you know? Like yeah, it's, the... it's like this like uncomfortable mm. feeling too of like. I don't know what all you know about me and that's scary and that creates like a moment of like uncomfortableness which I think is fun because I like I'm an actor and I like to live in that. Um, That was the worst sentence I've ever said in my life. That made me want to bash my head in the wall. uh, Um, Go back to another point we talked about earlier with themes. Prodigal is very much like the first the, the sort of antithesis to the first big theme that we fit in the campaign which is how do you balance a life between like a person and a hero. Yeah. And the one thing that she sort of hits at the most with the the party at this point is that she knows everybody so intimately. Yeah. Like what does a hero do when their identity has been sort of handed like I mean, yeah, just straight up handed or taken or stolen um or surveilled by a villain? What do you yeah. do? Like how to, how far will you go to protect your loved ones? How paranoid will you become? How far will you fall morally, ethically? Yeah. You know? And that's already beginning to happen with some players. And it's like a really scary thing. And it's kind of similar, or at least for my character, is similar in um, to to the last campaign because Keloy was also a character who knew uh, Magnolia, the character that I played, very, very well. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, and it was this thing of like, this paranoia that starts to seep in of like, Mm-hmm. I don't know because I'm playing to both of these characters are people who don't fully know themselves. Um, and to have a character that like foils that of like, I know so much information about you, whether or not it's correct is debatable. And like in a but, weird fucked up way, there's almost like some sort of kinship between the two of those people then. Because yeah. It's like, no, like this person's doing terrible things to me and is wrecking my life, but they're also one of the only people that like know everything about me. Yeah. And I know? think that's one of the most interesting things is when you can find a way and what I like to do is find a way as a player to also, like, because a villain needs good guys. A villain needs someone to stop them. Yeah, it's the, well, it's the whole, like, if without superheroes, there wouldn't be supervillains. Yes. Like, it's the power that incites the power to then sort of fight against. Yes. Yeah. And I, as a player, because I'm very thematic and everything, I always lean and gravitates towards, okay, what does my character need or want for this villain, from mm-hmm. this villain? Um, and I always try to, like, find something there uh, because I think it makes for a kind of dynamic... Um, role play and just kind of like interesting motivations and also uh, can help counteract accidentally killing a villain too early because sometimes you kill a villain too early and they were a really cool character and you don't want to like uh-huh. uh, give that up yet because you were having fun with it. So mm-hmm. you go on a whole new arc and you're like, we're bringing him back. Yeah, um, retconning or just saying the last two sessions, 
that didn't happen. Yeah, between, no. Between you and me, I'm unwriting the events of the last, like, 20, like, 48 hours. <laughs> gone. Didn't happen. Yeah. We're going back to when everything was happening. Thank you all for joining us on another episode of Table Talk, all about villains. Who the fuck knows what we'll talk about next time. Goodbye. Bye.